In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based on just experience with everyday objects that suggest reasonable explanations for things. Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. I'm Amy Donaldson. And I'm Hunter Mulcair. Two Shrinks is a podcast about all things psychology, and tonight we're talking about sarcasm. As psychologists and people, I think we're both quite sarcastic. Yep. Hunter, this topic was your idea. Why did you want to do it? As psychologists, we're interested in behavior and humans doing human things. Mm-hmm. And sarcasm is an interesting, complex set of behavior. And it's all about communication. There's lots of thought processes and lots of um, mood and effective things that go along with it. So I thought it would be kind of a curious topic for us to kind of think about. Hmm. And what we're going to do is we're going to go sort of old school two shrinks pod. I'm going to dig into four articles that cover this topic from a few different angles. So cross-culturally, understanding how it develops in childhood, how it can trigger creativity in people, and about how using emojis in text can help people understand sarcasm a little better. Like um, like phone texting. Phone texting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, right for misunderstanding. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So before we jump into it, I want to define sarcasm. Mm -hmm. And I'll give a couple of examples as well. So sarcasm is a form of irony and it's directed at a person, whereas irony can be about a situation. So irony is about that your expectations don't match what is being said. Mm -hmm. Sarcasm is that your view of a person doesn't match what's being said. It's used to convey humor, to criticize, to highlight the gap between expectations and reality. It's really complex and for a whole bunch of people there's difficulty understanding other people's intentions and interpreting what's going on whether that's kids people with autism people with schizophrenia in different emotional states Mm. it can be lead to a lot of misunderstandings Mm. the best way to understand sarcasm though is to hear it oh in class whoever parked in my space thank you i enjoyed the walk you're welcome yeah there's nothing like an hour in the rain oh wait 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 Oh, I get it. You're saying that because you don't want him to park in your spot. Very good. You win the trip to Jamaica. Hey, wait a minute. You didn't say there's a prize. <laughs> wow, could you be any stupider? Excuse me, is this Sarcasm 101? No, it's Lamaze class for men named Arthur. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> it is Sarcasm 101. Be more gullible. Take any seat you want. Okay, Except that one. Oops. I'm kidding. Sit down. <laughs> It's really hard to tell. (laughs) Thank you. What's your name? Marissa. Well done. Marissa has just learned what? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Uh, Good sarcasm is hard to distinguish from normal speech. Could you be more of a teacher's pet? Tom, I heard that. Good one. (laughs) Hunter's going to kick us off with an article on culture and sarcasm. What have you got? The paper I've got is Saying What You Don't Mean, a cross-cultural study of perceptions of sarcasm. It's a 2021 study. It was published in the Canadian Journal of Experimental Psychology by Blasco and colleagues. Mm-hmm. Sarcasm is ubiquitous in language, right? And these authors posit it may actually be an essential skill. They define it as saying one thing but intending to convey the opposite. Mm-hmm. An example would be, what a clean room when you're standing in a messy one. Or as my son said when I told him the topic of sarcasm, he said, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah. Looked me dead in the eye. (laughs) Anyway, sarcasm may be common and accepted and expected within a friendship group. Used to express collective anger and also can demonstrate someone's quick wit. Mm. And and those who don't get it, don't get the joke, can can often be teased as a result. You said in the intro, like, it's about a person. Mm. I I would have also said that it can be about things. Well, so it can be about... So this is this comes into the kid article that yes. I've picked, but it can be about a person's things. Yeah. So if it's connected to that person, then it's sarcasm. But if it's a general situation that they haven't caused or impacted or whatever, yeah. then it's considered irony. Okay. But if it's about, say, like your cup, yeah. then that's sarcasm. Okay, right. 
which is an odd distinction. Delineation, yeah. I also found in in one of the studies that they quoted a stat, which was that 8% of conversation between adult friends involves sarcasm. 8%. 8%. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, with that, the social context is incredibly important. It's clearly very important to do with sarcasm. Mm. So that whilst you do sarcasm with friends, at work, sarcasm is generally discouraged. Mm. And, and this is because sarcasm is very much in the eye of the beholder. You know, a manager's sarcasm may be considered funny to them, but viewed as being criticised mm. if you're the worker, if you're receiving it. Yeah. You know, so there's a power differential. Sarcasm about an outsider mm. may build group cohesion, but sarcasm within the group can cause splitting. Yeah. And then there's differences in the way that you uh, can detect it. And so sarcasm can be found to be easily detected if the utterance is familiar or if there's enough cues to signal it. And they talk about socialisation is important. So there's something we sort of learn and they found a Polish study that said children as young as eight can detect it. And this is related to their mother's use of sarcasm. Mm. So if the mother's using it more, then they're more likely to understand it. There isn't actually much in the way of cross-cultural research into Mm -hmm. sarcasm. So this is 2021. So a pretty recent paper. Mm. People can detect sarcastic prosody in their own language, mm-hmm. but perform a chance when they're listening to an unfamiliar language. Okay. So, like, so if you're not used to listening to that language. Mm-hmm. Most of the studies have been done with European and North American samples. So these authors got 344 adults, 31 to 55 years, from three different countries, United States, Mexico, and China. They got them to complete the sarcasm or self-report scale, the you know SRSS, I think is what they called, 16 items, and then it had subscales of the general sarcasm, face-saving sarcasm, embarrassment diffusion sarcasm, mm-hmm. and frustration diffusion sarcasm. So it's interesting then just even just to think about that there's different categories of sarcasm. Mm, that seem to be about mechanism or the purpose. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the context of mm. it, right? And then what they got them to do is they did the value survey module, which is a 24-item measure of cultural values. Mm-hmm. It measures six different cultural dimensions. I'll say them here. I won't define them. I'll talk about them a little bit later. But there's power distance, mm-hmm. individualism, uncertainty avoidance, masculinity, long-term orientation, and indulgence or indulgence slash restraint. Okay. So these are all dimensions that a culture can differ on so that they, they they've looked at nationalities mm. which is sort of subbing in for culture and they do make the point that across a, a one nation you can have differences yeah. in say sarcasm they also had a sarcasm use scale which is like why do you use sarcasm and what are the cues to influence sarcasm okay what they predicted was that individualism so that would be the extent that people feel independent as opposed to interdependent. Mm-hmm. And power difference, which is the extent that less powerful members of society accept and expect that power is distributed unequally. These would be the cultural dimensions that would be associated with sarcasm. So individualism and power difference or differential. Right. Okay. So the United States tends towards high individualism, mm-hmm. low power distance, whereas China is higher restraint. Yep. What they found was that those from the US and Mexico, Mexico also being low in power distance, mm-hmm. use sarcasm more than Chinese participants. Okay. And U- US and Mexican participants were not different in their use of sarcasm mm-hmm. as by self-report. So if you're low in power distance and, and high in individualism, it may be more acceptable to venture frustration mm. sarcastically than, say, someone from China who's got a high power distance, low individualism. So... Just to explain, that sounds a bit gobbledygook to me. So to explain, US values individuality, personal choice, more expressive of opinion mm-hmm. compared with, say, a collectivist society, which might be more sort of self-sacrificing, which may be more discouraging of negative affect. Mm. And so therefore you would get less sarcasm. When power distance is high, the society has a more formal relationship between the levels of a hierarchy. Yep. Yep. And so in that context, using sarcasm between leader and subordinate could be viewed as disrespectful or defiance, Mm. right? So have a bigger social consequence. So you would expect it would be used less. And this is essentially what they found, right? And people who scored high in restraint, which is like low indulgence, use sarcasm 
less, which would yeah. make sense. Like, you know, you're... You're, you're containing. Yeah, you're contained. Yeah. Right. The culture's contained and you're contained. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they point out that sarcasm is present in China. Mm. Like in sort of, you know, culturally, you see it. Yeah. Um, but it's culture with a high power distance and high restraint. Even humorous sarcasm could have consequences. Mm. And so... It would be useless. You wouldn't use it across as many settings potentially. Yeah. Or in as many interactions yeah. as. Yeah. And they found that gender differences that men use it more than women. Okay. Right. And this was across all the countries. Interesting. And, and there was no interaction with the cultural values, which hmm. was interesting. Masculinity apparently didn't predict it or their measure of it. So, which they sort of think that maybe there's complex social cultural factors there at play. Were commonalities across countries. So, basically, that. The main reasons people used it was to be funny, mm-hmm. to have fun with friends, and that was common across all three. Yeah. Um, it's also used to flirt, yep. indicate romantic interest playfully, and the worst reason to use sarcasm was to pay a compliment, <laughs> which <laughs> I thought was interesting. And, and they said that even though it's often thought to be insulting, mm. ratings of use of sarcasm put insult last on the list of all the things. So Of all the reasons why people are using yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Um, sarcasm's used, but in less frequency across different cultures. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. We don't normally go cross cultural on two strings. No. No, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> it feels like an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how wide our listenership is, Amy. That's true. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I am sarcastic by nature. Not everybody is on board with that, I understand. Perfect example. I was at a wine store here in New York. I was getting a bottle of wine for a dinner function. Couldn't read the label very well. So out of complete curiosity, I said, excuse me, ma'am, what year is this? And she said, the wine. (laughs) No, ma'am. I am a time traveler. I am only here to beg you, don't break up with your boyfriend, or I'll never be born. Right, so children? Yep. Yep. Of course, I had to pick one that was about children. I know, right? (laughs) Amy, if you're new to the show, Amy's a child psychologist. Yeah. I just, I saw it there and then when you didn't pick it, I went, okay, yeah. that, that has to happen. So this is called the development of children's ability to distinguish sarcasm and verbal irony by Glenn Wright and Pexman in the Journal of Child Language in 2010. They split up irony and sarcasm in the same way that I spoke about at the start. So irony is about a situation, sarcasm is about a person Mm -hmm. so sarcasm by nature can be more critical or can be more personal because it's about that person or their things rather than the situation in general exactly yeah Yeah, it can have a blaming or critical tone the research question for this paper was how do we develop it it doesn't seem to be something that just at some point is picked up it Mm. seems to be a staged development so we learn different parts of it over time rather than something like object permanence which is learning that an object continues to exist when you don't look at it yeah so when you play peekaboo with a baby they legitimately think you've disappeared and are surprised when you come back yeah they haven't learned that you've continue to exist without them being able to see you that's kind of like a one process there it is yeah but sarcasm's complex yeah. Uh, so previous research says that kids can start to understand sarcasm and irony from around six, mm-hmm. and then it builds in their ability to, like their depth of comprehension up to adolescence. And so there's two components to understanding sarcasm. The first one is that you have to recognize that someone's comment is a non-literal statement that's different to what they believe. So you have to know that the thing they're saying isn't what they actually think. Mm-hmm. You also then need to be able to read what their intent is. So you have to be able to look at their language and the context and their tone and be able to work out, are they meaning to tease me, to be mean, to compliment, whatever, because it could be murky. And so it seems like a lot of kids can do the first. They can recognize that it's not what the person means, but then 
the next step, the working out what the intent of that thing that isn't what the person thinks mm. comes later in childhood. Yeah. So there's like two steps to understanding sarcasm. And so they, they, exactly. get, they get the first point of learning it is, yeah. Okay. Mm. And then you also need exposure to sarcasm to learn the different ways that it can be used. So if you only ever see it being used in a mean way as a child, you're going to think that's the only way that sarcasm is used. Whereas if you've got a parent that uses it in all different ways, then you're going to be able to pick up that it can be nuanced. This study wanted to look at comparing the understanding on those two facets from five to six-year-olds and nine to ten-year-olds, so to see whether there was a change Mm -hmm. in that process. There was a few facets to the research. They showed nine different interactions using puppets. So one puppet was the speaker and was talking to another puppet who didn't say anything. Do you reckon that like child researchers, there's a point at which in your academic career where you decision to research children's stuff is made for you because like either you're an academic that has puppets in, in your in you like puppets. Yeah. Or, you know, oh we're gonna play Jenga and that's gonna be research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> or like you're the least scared of children in the room. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yep. so therefore then you get just pushed into that kind of like, oh, you would, you'll talk to them. Or, or, you, or, or like the idea of like doing a whole lot of questionnaires yeah. and not talking to anyone is like really thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> Adult researcher. Adult researcher. Yeah. 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 So I digress. Li- liking bizarre answers, child researcher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there was nine different puppet interactions and the kids had to identify whether the speaker means what it is that they're saying. Mm -hmm. And then they wanted to see whether the kids could distinguish between irony and sarcasm, not by asking them, is this ironic or sarcastic, but by asking them how mean they thought the comment was. The logic being that if they can distinguish between the two, you would expect them to think that it was meaner to comment on a person or a person's thing rather than the situation. Mm And then to assess their perspective-taking abilities, they asked them which person in the play was more like them. So with the idea that the kids who could empathise better would probably say that they were more like the puppet who was who was at a disadvantage in the interaction, not the puppet being mean. Mm-hmm. Because kids like to behave well and they like adults to think they're behaving well. Yeah. So they wouldn't want to say to the adult, oh yeah, I'm the one who's being mean in that interaction. The participants were 71 five to six-year-olds and 71 nine to 10-year-olds. If you can imagine a sort of three-by-three three grid of the types of performances. So the topic was... I'm just laughing at me. <laughs> the topic was either the subject's performance, their possession, or a general situation. And so the example they used was like two kids playing on a trampoline and the speaker comments on the other one's ability to do tricks the quality of the trampoline that belongs to that other kid or it's a trampoline at like a play center and they're just commenting on the trampoline in each of those conditions there were three types of statements so there was either non-literal criticism literal criticism and literal praise they didn't use non-literal praise because they felt like that was too advanced for either of the kids Cognition. So what would non-literal play? Um, it would be like if you were talking to a friend who was clever and you said, oh, you're so stupid. Yeah. Something like that. That's the next level of comprehension to understanding criticism. Each kid saw all nine shows and then had to answer questions afterwards. They had to say, was what the speaker was saying good or bad? How mean were they on a like it scale of seven faces, yep. ranging from very nice to very mean? <laughs> Um, and then which puppet they identified with and why. There's a lot of components to this, so I'm just going to... Skip them? <laughs> no, I'm going to step through it in a way that hopefully makes sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the little ones... So no, the five and six-year-olds? Five and six-year-olds, yep. Were no better than chance at identifying if the speaker was trying to say something good or bad when sarcasm or irony was used. Mm-hmm. Clueless, they were sitting around... chance of guessing whether the person was meaning it or not. The 9 and 10-year-olds were 
significantly more able to do that and they got the same you know percentage rating as for all of the conditions they knew what was going on yeah yeah like what percentage oh it was high 90s yeah so almost perfect the little ones didn't distinguish between the meanness of the comments so they thought any criticism was equally bad whether it was of the situation or the person was just blanket meanness whereas the nine and ten year olds thought that it was meaner to comment on a person's performance or their thing than commenting on the general situation Mm. so So basically they're picking up the subtlety they're picking up the subtlety they're able to make that distinction between the two all of them could distinguish between if it was a literal thing like i don't like your shoes all of the kids could distinguish how that would be different to i don't like those shoes in the shop so if it was literal little ones totally got it but it was when it was sarcastic that the little ones were were like those are great shoes yeah yeah and they'd be kind of like i don't know i don't know where that fits the little ones identified with the target of the criticism a lot more strongly than the older kids so they really felt it the sense of i'm being criticized the older ones they had a they had an interesting thing whereas if it was criticizing the person's performance or their possession the nine and ten year olds identified with the person who was being commented on so the receiver of the sarcasm but if it was commenting on a general situation they identified with the person commenting on the situation so making the kind of funny comment that was where they placed themselves so so basically if you're hearing hearing a sarcastic comment about someone's stuff yeah then they empathize with the person, the person receiving it. Yeah. But if you're like, look at this amazing trampoline in, yeah. this, in this place and it was broken or whatever. Yeah. Then they want to be the funny one making yeah. that comment. Yeah. yeah. The little ones were also really disapproving of all of the non-literal criticisms. So they thought that they were all inappropriate. They weren't okay. Yep. <laughs> Any of those comments to make. Whereas the nine and 10 year olds could pull it apart and go, well, those ones that are about something external, they're fine. It's the ones about a person that aren't okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems that it supports that idea that there's a stepped progression. Mm. The authors noticed that the older kids weren't able to identify, they didn't use any words that suggested they understood sarcasm or that in their explanations they didn't say, oh, that kid was being sarcastic or that kid was any words that lent to their understanding of that intent Mm. but they knew the feeling of it and the purpose behind it Mm. so they thought is there a third step where you can identify that something's sarcastic or not or is that just language development a question Mm. does it lend it to a step thing because it kind of sounds like the the young'uns are not getting the sarcasm at all and then the nine and tens are getting it yeah the little ones aren't getting the sarcasm universally so some of the little ones are getting it, but not all of them. Mm. Yeah. So the question is whether it all comes at once at nine or 10, or whether the little ones have got the early understanding that something means being said, yep. but they can't work out that the something mean being said isn't what the person actually means. Yeah. 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 But see, I'm not even sure that that would be sarcasm though. If it would just be... They're, they're just recognizing the, like, the tonal quality. They're viewing it as a literal comment rather yep. than a... Yep. Mm. Yep. Um, but yeah. So there you go. Yeah. That's no, kind I, of I how. I do it. like a stage model. Um, how much is this? Three pounds. Ah. Is there something wrong with your head? Are you wagging it to say no? There's nothing wrong with my head, or is it just uncontrollable? Uh, Perhaps you'd like me to put the price down. Well, I was thinking two pounds. Because three pounds is just naked profiteering for a book <laughs> mere. 912 pages long. What'll I do with that extra pound? I'll add an acre to the grounds. I'll chuck some more koi carp in my piano-shaped pond. No, I know. I'll build a wing on the National Gallery with my name on it. 250. That's more like it. So that ties somewhat neatly into what I'm going to talk about, mm-hmm. which is some of the cognitive psychology of sarcasm. Okay. And then what's some of the byproducts of it. Back up for a sec. Are you different in your sarcasm use at work than not at work? (laughs) Yes, but Mm -hmm. I am more mindful of it at work. And I'd say in general, I use it less. But 
I have been reliably informed by my teenage clients that it's something that I use pretty often in therapy. Mm. And it's something I have to be careful not to use with clients who have things like autism because they don't get it. Yeah. So, but so like, I was more thinking about like with your work colleagues. Oh, with my work colleagues... It depends on Versus which colleagues. Friends. Yeah, see, because I was going to yeah. say, who, my follow-up question was like, who would you be sarcastic with at work? Yeah, right. colleagues that I'm close to. Yeah. Far more than probably, management or... Yeah, probably yeah. on the same power level. Yeah. Or if they're one up from you. Yeah. But you've got a good working relationship. Probably. People who I feel comfortable with and who I know read it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> they're sort of a testing out. Yeah. Also, have a think about it for a second. What impact does sarcasm have when it's being used well or poorly (laughs) (laughs) well either or it doesn't really matter well it can make you it can unsettle things Mm -hmm. which i think is why i use it in therapy because it is a gentler challenge than other options and it kind of can unsettle things it can well make people laugh Mm, there's a human build a connection do you think do you think that it has uh would you think that sarcasm aside from an effective emotional uh, conflict component, do you think sarcasm would trigger anything else off or impact things differently? It can make you think a bit. Make you think a bit, yeah. Hmm. And that's exactly what this paper's about. Yeah. So it's called The Highest Form of Intelligence. Sarcasm Increases Creativity for Both Expressors and Recipients. It's by Huang and colleagues in 2015 in Organizational Behavior and Human Decision-Making Processes. Mm-hmm. So they start off with a quote from Oscar Wilde. Sarcasm is the lowest form of wit, but the highest form of intelligence. Mm -hmm. So they posit that sarcasm has psychological and organizational benefits that have been overlooked. We're often encouraged to avoid sarcasm at work. Sarcastic comments have the poisonous sting of Mm. uh, contempt that can undermine relationships, harm communication. Studies have shown that sarcasm is a form of negative communication amongst teams and not performing well. Mm. The first thing that comes to my head when you say that is that there's, in any situations where sarcasm is used and it goes well, there tends to be some sort of underlying goodwill or some sort of connection already there, some sort of rapport already there. Mm. It falls flat when there's not that sense of that, when there's tension. Yeah, or but and also I think like, you know, if, if a team's not, performing well or they're all unhappy they yeah. might start using sarcasm as a way of venting mm. so you know i i would look at that and think oh you know i'm not sure sarcasm is the cause of a problem i think no. it's more of a symptom, symptom. but sarcasm there's a couple of different types of humor and it's considered a harmful or hostile form of humor it's often harmful to individual mm-hmm. well-being and interpersonal relations even if the receiver actually agrees it's humorous it's okay still, it still can hurt right mm. But it is humorous mm. and it's more memorable than direct communication and it still happens at work. People do mm. like to use it. So in this paper, they suggest and show through four studies, Amy, <laughs> that expressing and receiving sarcasm can trigger creativity. So okay. I was like, oh, I'll just read this paper. Oh, it's got four studies. I'm going to have to explain them all. Um, but Are I'll, they ones where they build on one yeah, another? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. It, it, it should actually... It, We'll go on a journey, but it's actually it should should be quite interesting. But back to the point. So they think that sarcasm, expressing sarcasm or receiving sarcasm can trigger creativity. Mm-hmm. And they think that this happens through abstract thinking. And what they found in earlier research was that watching a sarcastic exchange mm. can trigger creativity in the third party. Okay. So what they wanted to do was look at people actually in the sarcastic exchange. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then look at it. So sarcasm, as we said before, involves exposure to a contradiction between a, a stated and intended meaning. It's often used to convey thinly veiled disapproval, contempt and scorn. Mm. So I'm going to play a clip from the movie Saving Private Ryan, which is a movie by Steven Spielberg, where a squad of American soldiers go off to find Private Ryan, whose brothers, he's one of four brothers, and three of his brothers have been killed, Hmm. right? And so they're going to get him, remove him from the World War II battlefield. Hmm. And so the math of it is that there's there's like eight soldiers rescuing one guy, kind of like, What's the story? And this is a great example of sarcasm. I'm sorry, sir, but uh, let's say you weren't a captain or maybe I was a major. What would you say then? Well, in that case, 
I say this is an excellent mission, sir, with an extremely valuable objective, sir. Worthy of my best efforts, sir. Moreover, I feel heartfelt sorrow for the mother of Private James Ryan. I'm willing to lay down my life and the lives of my men, especially you, Ryden, to ease her suffering. He's good. So to follow that line of sarcasm that we heard mm. in that clip, or any sarcasm, it's complicated. And, and like what you were saying in your study, they've found that sarcastic exchanges exercise the brain more, as shown as in neural activity, than, mm. say, sincere or literal exchanges, right? You've got to recognize and reconcile these contradictory notions. They think that that is done via abstract thinking, and then that because you trigger off abstract thinking, that, that means that you are more creative or triggers off creativity. And so mm-hmm. the thing like in a workplace, creativity mm. in a workplace is actually quite important. It's quite yeah. good. It, it's beneficial for a whole lot of reasons, right? So let me just really get into the weeds here. So the contradiction between intended and stated meaning creates psychological distance. Yep. And traversing this psychological distance is made possible by abstract thinking. So boss sees a worker surfing the internet. You say... Don't work too hard, which is a concrete and context-specific exemplar. Mm -hmm. Your internal response would be, hang on, I'm not working hard. So to understand it, you have to think differently. And the link between don't work too hard and I'm not working too hard is conduct yourself appropriately, which is an abstract concept. So if that's worked out, am I working appropriately? Okay, well, what would the appropriate thing to be doing? Well, I'm not working appropriately. Oh, it would be to work harder. Mm. Okay. And so to get to the concrete intended meaning of work harder, you have to go via this abstract thinking mm. route. Right? When that happens, they think that that abstract thinking then makes you start to be a bit more creative. Because you, you already started the process. Yeah, you're engaged in more abstract ways of looking at problems mm. and then that would flow onto other things, right? Yeah. They posit and then they end up showing in this paper is that Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert, yeah, I know. Well, there were so many studies, I was like, no, I have to do it this way, right? But they don't think that mood is responsible for creativity. Okay. So people always talk about like, well, sarcasm impacts your mood. Mm. And and so you could then maybe argue that maybe mood is the reason that's causing the creativity link. But they don't think that this is the case, right? Sarcasm is not uniform on its impact on mood. So sometimes sarcasm increases your mood. Mm. And um, sometimes it drops it. Yeah. So positive and negative mood are actually two distinct concepts. So mm. sometimes sarcasm decreases your positive mood, increases negative mood. Other times yep. it increases positive and decreases negative. They did this across four studies. <laughs> I'm yep. going ex- to explain. How many times are you going to say the word four? <laughs> I'm not angry about it at all, am I? No. <laughs> I'm angry at myself. The... I'll explain one of them in detail because it is interesting how they kind of conceptualize and how they how they do this from an experimental way. It's mm-hmm. quite elegant. They had a picture frustration study to, to... Like one of those things where it says, if you want to ruin your friend's day, send them this picture and it's things just out of... No? It's all those like... like There's like one tile. <laughs> one that's tile that's the wrong, wrong way. Right, on the right yeah. way. No, no. So what they wanted people to do is either to place themselves in the first study as either expressing sarcasm, receiving sarcasm, expressing a sincere comment, or receiving a sincere comment. Mm-hmm. Right? So they had a picture of a cartoon of a car with a person in it mm-hmm. and the speech bubble, and, and they're talking to someone else, right? Okay. A guy who's standing on the street, and the speech bubble says, I'm very sorry we splashed your clothing just now, though we tried hard to avoid the puddle. If you were expressing sarcasm, your instructions were to write the first sarcastic reply that comes to mind. What would you say? I'd draw a complete mental blank. I'd be like, oh, don't worry. I'm completely wet. (laughs) Oh, you don't need to worry. Oh, I hadn't noticed (laughs) is probably the first thing I'd... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sarcastic receiving. So you would imagine that the comment, I'm very sorry we splashed your clothing, Mm. had been made sarcastically and then write down the first comment that came to mind. Mm. So it wouldn't have to be a sarcastic comment. It could just be... F you, mate. Yeah. So sarcastic expressing, sarcastic receiving, and then there was sincere receiving, sincere expressing. So that's just mm. the same thing, but, you know, respond in a sincere way or imagine yeah. it was being said to you in a, in a sincere way. Okay. Um, so first study... Which had, you would really hope for in that scenario because if someone deliberately splashed you and then pulled over to sarcastically say to you, I deliberately splashed you. Yeah. That I mean, that's a whole other level That's like a whole... Nasty. That's, <laughs> it's like... It's like a mic drop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 112 adult Americans, mm-hmm. two by two studies. So sarcasm, sincerity, 
expressing and receiving for mm-hmm. each one, right? They got them to do a creativity task. So they got them to do a remote association task. They would give them a triad, three words, and mm-hmm. then you would have to say the word that links uh, them all. Yep. Right. So I'm going to test you, Amy. <laughs> uh, manners round tennis. What's the word that logically links to all three? Ball. Table. Table. Oh, see, I was thinking like... Ball manners? No, like, yeah, like... like no. <laughs> No, like like going to a ball, you know, like a fancy ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was seven. <laughs> anyway, so there was seven. Uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to push up. I'm a mature adult. <laughs> um, 17 triads, right? So there was, so that was the trial response and there was 17 others. They're, they're quite hard, actually. Mm. And the number of correct responses was their measure of creativity. Okay. And they also had a measure of mood. The results, they found that expressing and receiving sarcasm led people to perceive higher conflict. There was a measure of conflict. But expressing and receiving sarcasm, you scored higher on that creativity task mm-hmm. than people with sincerity. Sarcasm didn't predict mood. Mm. Nope. Second study, online study again, had people recall expressing sarcasm or receiving sarcasm. Just so, in their life? Yeah. Yep. Different measure of creativity, which is... And I was very excited to to read this one because I remember learning this one at Year 12 psychology class. So it's the Dunker Candle problem. Have you heard of this? So it uses an example for functional fixedness. So the task is you get a picture, like a Mm. photograph of objects on a table next to a wall. And the objects are a candle, a pack of yeah. a pack of matches, and a box of tacks. And the task is to use the objects on the table to attach the candle to the wall so that it would burn without dripping wax onto the table or floor. Yeah, it's coming vaguely into yeah. my head. So yeah. the solution, so it's a measure of creativity insight because the solution to that problem is you have to empty the box of tacks out and then tack the box to the wall and put the candle in it so it forms so, like a yeah because the, the, the what you have to do is you have to get the candle to burn there's no wax dripping on the table or yeah. the floor so you have to see the box as something different mm. and in this study what they've in so in the second study they found that sarcasm participants solved the problem 60 to 70 percent of the time mm-hmm. expressing receiving versus the sincerity people would solve it probably 26 to 32 percent of the time wow that's so a like big difference a substantial difference this yeah. is why it's quite interesting again no effect on mood okay. third study so they did it in a lab not yep. online they had a measure of abstract thinking the measure of abstract thinking was uh, a behavior mm-hmm. so voting and you would then indicate which of two descriptions you prefer so either marking a ballot which would be concrete or influencing election, which is abstract. Mm-hmm. They had a matchstick problem as a measure of creativity. So this is okay. like, you know, like this is a glass made out of matches. You can only move two matches. Yeah, to make these things connect yeah. or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was like move the olive out of the glass or something. Like yeah. That. And they also had a mood measure. They found sarcasm was associated with higher abstract thinking. Mm-hmm. And this mediated the link between sarcasm and creativity, which is exactly okay. what I thought. So, so mediated means that it goes sarcasm, abstract thinking, creativity, and they show mm. that statistically. Yeah. Final study. So, so think about all this, right? You know, okay, well, workplace. If we're sarcastic, that could increase creativity. Mm-hmm. Problem with sarcasm is, as we've alluded to, it's, it's got an effective component of mm. it can make people's feelings hurt. Yeah. That's a problem in a workplace. And there's nuance in how much people are going to understand it or not. Like, yeah. it's not a guaranteed yeah mechanism so they wanted to look at how to increase creativity without increasing conflict Mm -hmm. what they found was that trust interpersonal trust was important Mm. so interpersonal trust between sarcasm expressors and receivers moderated the effect of sarcasm on the sense of conflict Mm. so what that means is if you trust the person you don't experience the conflict evoking so like i was saying at the start with people i'm comfortable with it's fine. Yeah. When I'm not, it's not okay. Yeah. If you yeah. don't trust a person and they're being sarcastic to you, it's more likely to cause conflict. Mm. What they found was that the creativity bonus mm-hmm. was present regardless of presence of interpersonal conflict. Okay. Sarcasm generates creativity. Regardless of if your feelings are hurt or not. Yeah. So go right. forth and be sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and they, and they pointed off that, that 
all these effects were found for all types of sarcasm. Mm. So sarcastic anger, criticism, compliments, banter. And so they were saying, you know, maybe stopping sarcasm work, not so good. Mm. Right? It could be limiting. Right? Yeah. And, and like what you said, it makes you think a bit more. Mm. And, if you, and if you're around someone that's making you think abstractly, then, then uh, you know, that can help you, I reckon. And it's probably the amount of it as well. Like you'd need to have enough genuine stuff to build that trusting environment. Mm. And then sprinklings of sarcasm rather than yeah. be sarcastic in All every interaction. Yeah, that wouldn't be so good. No. <laughs> well, we have a new member of Sarcasmaholics Anonymous this week. <laughs> Perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name's Scott and... and I'm a sarcasmaholic. No. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. I finally admitted it to myself. I've got a sarcasm problem. Well, Scott, I'm sure we're all really, really looking forward to hearing your story. Oh, thanks for... Sorry, was that sarcasm? Sarcasm? No. Uh, are you a sarcasmaholic yourself? No, no, no. I just help mediate the group. Uh, OK. Yeah, I just gee up every Tuesday night in my life to help these screw-ups for the good of my health. Well, all right, there's no need to be sarcastic. All right, last one. Last one. Okay, this is called Emoji as a Tool to Aid the Comprehension of Written Sarcasm, Evidence from Younger and Older Adults by Garcia and colleagues in Computers in Human Behaviour in this year, 2022. Mm-hmm. So in this paper, they distinguish between sarcastic criticism, so a mock positive comment of a negative situation, so saying to a friend who's procrastinating, oh, you're so motivated, versus sarcastic praise, so a mock negative thing. Like I've mentioned before that your friend's really smart and you say to them, oh, you're so stupid. Yep. Yep. In face-to-face situations with both of those things, we've got a whole lot of resources to draw on. There's tone, there's body language, facial expressions, the context. There's a whole bunch of things that can help support what the interpretation is. But most of that goes out the window when you're sending text messages. Yeah. Yeah, because there's certainly some people that who I don't know well who I definitely struggle with, you know, mm. are they being critical? Yeah. Are they not? Particularly if you know that that person is critical. Yes. Like, I think that's probably the qualifier. Yeah. If I know that person isn't a critical person and then they're saying critical things and you're like, okay, I know what's going on here. But if you know that that person's critical mm. and then they're saying stuff and you're like, but is that- like, are they? <laughs> yeah. It's ripe for problems. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to, it comes up in all types of text interactions over and over again. Yeah. So the idea with this was to have a think about whether there are emojis or punctuation marks or things like that that can support the understanding that something's sarcastic. And this isn't a new idea. Hundreds of years ago, they were talking about putting in a different punctuation mark into text when something was sarcastic. Mm. So I remember reading about the snark, Mm. which is like a backwards question mark to indicate that the character in a book was saying something sarcastic. It's... Mm. It's been an eternal problem that we haven't kind of resolved. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I I can't recall sarcastic comments in a book. Mm. You see it on film, plays, TV. Yeah. But it's harder to identify it in yeah. a book. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of individual differences in how we understand sarcasm and whether we're able to or not. So there's things around theory of mind. So that's about being able to read what another person's intent and emotional state is in any given time. Mm-hmm. It tends to be an issue for children, people with autism, people with schizophrenia, people with frontal lobe brain damage and things like that. It's harder for them to assess what the other person is thinking or feeling. There's differences for people with different types of emotion processing. So if you're better at perceiving other people's emotions just in general or even noticing from their body language that they're feeling a particular way, you're quicker at perceiving that something's sarcastic. Mm. And just to, to, to mm. stop there for a second, like I don't use sarcasm that much in therapy. Yeah. I've, I've definitely, I definitely have done and will do on occasion, but mm. generally not. And part of it, I mean, I work with adults, mm. but my sort of little theory about it is that often when I've tried it, it hasn't worked. Yeah. 
And often I think it's because people are really concentrating so much on something and then to, to flip out into that abstract it's thinking, too much it's of too, a... It's too, particularly if you're like emotionally processing stuff mm. or if they're like people can want to be seen in a good light by their therapist and all this yep. kind of stuff. And so if you then like throw in something that's contradictory to that... It can be confronting. It can be really... It yeah. can really damage rapport yeah. as a therapist. Yeah. Whereas like as a therapist, I think the world of this person, I think that they're really amazing, mm. you know, and... but. Their internal worlds, I don't think, very good in themselves. Yeah. And then, and so trying to be sarcastic in those lights, it yeah, doesn't it can doesn't always work. And there's definitely a art to it. Like when I scan through about what clients it's been okay with and which clients I wouldn't ever use sarcasm with, mm. it tends to be the teenagers and the teenagers who like to pretend that everything's okay. Yeah. But keep on showing up to therapy, wanting to work on things, but have trouble accessing that next level. A sarcastic comment at the right time, particularly one where there's a bit of banter backwards and forwards with like me going, oh, that doesn't sound like you. And them going, nah, I would never. You know, that sort of backwards and forwards can then get into the, okay, so let's talk about that thing that never happens. Mm. Um, But it it seems to work best with teenagers and ones that I've got a decent rapport Mm. with. It doesn't. Like, seem oh, to work with you, other, yeah, you, yeah. Like, you know like if someone comes up with the same problem again and again and again like yeah. oh we've not talked about that before because for teenagers be it's very, less confronting you have to be very very light yeah and for teenagers that's less confronting whereas for adults i think that would be more confronting in mm. a lot of ways there's something about a communication style that mm. lends itself yeah it's about to res- that and also like about you know in therapy respecting the client yeah and and the client respecting you yeah yeah and probably as an adult talking to a younger person it's a it levels things out a bit when you both get a joke it can really strengthen the alliance and strengthen that kind of oh we're on the same level rather than i'm a teacher or parent type figure yeah coming in over the top Mm. yeah yeah which is what you want because you want the working lines anyway yeah um but so which feeds into communication styles is another thing with understanding working memory capacity so Mm -hmm. you have to be able to hold in mind what had come before in the conversation Mm. to be able to interpret it because it's so complex there's a cognitive element there and so what they've found is that given that there can be age related declines in cognition when you get into sort of 70s 80s 90s Mm. there's then going to be parallel declines in your ability to understand sarcasm because you need to have all of those components The idea of this experiment was to get participants to read scenarios where the comment could be interpreted as literal or sarcastic, as either criticism or praise, and either had a winking face emoji next to it or didn't, Mm -hmm. and to work out how accurate the assessment of sarcasm was. So the example that was in there was Skye spotted Erin across the room at a party and noticed that she was looking a bit scruffy. She texted her to say, I see you made an effort. And then the questions were asking, what do you think this comment meant? And do you think the receiver, Erin, would think that the comment was sarcastic? So they had 48 younger people with a mean age of 21 and 48 older people with a mean age of 71. And they got them to complete 48 items. So there was each one of those facets done six times, plus then a bunch of different statements that followed the same structure as the test items, but had different emojis in there. So they couldn't work out that it was about the winking emoji. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to jump straight forward to the results because it's pretty straightforward, the design of this. Comments with an emoji were seen as more sarcastic than their emojiless counterparts by both age groups yep young people view comments literal or not without an emoji as more sarcastic than older adults Mm. so there's a stronger tendency to Mm. assume that someone's being sarcastic with you without an emoji the older adults perception of the sarcastic criticisms and praise was more literal to the point where it was no better than chance whether they could work out whether it was a criticism or Mm. praise and whether the person meant it or not. It was just, it was a little bit like it matched the kids, little kids, where they couldn't distinguish between the two, what the person meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, the authors thought, okay, it seems that emojis can facilitate 
older people's understanding of sarcasm and can bring it to a point where it's not significantly different from younger people. For anyone communicating with someone who's older, in their sort of 70s, 80s, 90s, who isn't understanding sarcasm or is missing some of those things if there's conflict, starting to use emojis a little bit more might be a way to bridge that a bit because it at least evens out the playing field. It gives you more context. I mean, I I think think it's probably worthwhile for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It clarifies things in a way that sometimes is really needed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yep. And we haven't talked about email, but I think email Mm. definitely has lots of problems around that. Yeah. Very careful. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Shall we take a break? Let's take a break. I've got a surprise drink for Amy. (laughs) And Mm. uh, uh, we'll be back very soon. You're on Two Strings Pod. But as we try to widen and make more consistent our description of what we see, as it gets wider and wider and we see a greater range of phenomena, the explanations become what we call laws instead of simple explanations. You look, you look so pleased with yourself. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> so this is a break. I think I know what's going to happen. Amy's going to talk about where you can look us up whilst I I pour us a drink here. We've gone really alternative and everything is Two Shrinks Pod. So email twoshrinkspod at gmail.com, website twoshrinkspod.com, Twitter twoshrinkspod. You you couldn't get any more. (laughs) She's laughing because I can't get the cork out. There we are. Yeah. Do you want to explain to the listeners what's happening? It appears that I've stepped into a parallel universe. Oh, God, look at that. It's disgusting. Because Hunter is pouring sparkling shiraz. Sparkling shiraz. So, <laughs> so if you listen to our uh, 2021 wrap-up show, I uh, discussed about... We, we were discussing about if we could ever get an alcohol sponsor for the show, which... I'm keen for Amy's not. Well, no, I'm I'm, I'm keen. This, this, it just don't yeah. don't ruin the story. And uh, and I, I made the comment that sparkling Shiraz is an abomination of a yeah. drink. Where I, did this come from? Uh, so I've bought I bought us um, some sparkling Shiraz to try because I've only had it once or twice. I've hated it each time, and I thought okay. it'd be good. So cheers. Um, cheers. Let's see. No. Oh, it is not pleasant. It's not for me. Uh, Andrew Garrett, Sparkling Shiraz. Um, sorry, guys, but it's uh, no good, really. It's apparently the Andrew Garrett name is synonymous with original, approachable, it's... authentic Australian sparkling wine. I would disagree. <laughs> this, this is a sentence that should never really be written. Our flagship Sparkling Shiraz. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, normally Amy and I... I... Well... Well, the thing that gets me is, how is it so sweet? Oh. So, this is the break. This is where Amy and I... <laughs> I, I had a feeling of what it was going to be, and it's lived up to the expectation. Oh, wow. I, I, you know, I, I thought... Because sometimes I hold strong opinions about things, and then I go... And I actually try it, and I'm like, oh, actually, maybe it's not so bad. Yeah. Um, no. No, I, 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 I'm not a convert. No. Most, mostly South Australian people will say, oh, no, but sparkling shiraz is really good on a hot mm. day. You know what's really good on a hot day, Amy? People from Mildura. Everything. Yeah. Every, every, every drink. Any cold good. liquid. Yeah, any, any cold Any liquid. cold liquid, yeah. It's like people with Brussels sprouts and they go, oh, yeah. you're just going to have Brussels sprouts with bacon. Bacon. You know what's also good with bacon? Butter. Pretty much fucking everything. <laughs> yeah, the thing that's good is the bacon. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh Check out our website, Two Shrinks Pod. We are planning on doing mm. some merch. We're very excited. There's been lots of planning. There's been test runs of um, mugs. Some, so we're looking to do some mugs and a few other bits and bobs. Mm. Uh, probably won't be up by the time this pod comes out. But no. if you're listening to us in the future, yes. then, <laughs> Have then a look. there should be some merch and you could help keep us on air. Yes, we're um, very excited. Let's get it. Thanks for coming for us. Sounds good.
I, I feel we need to cheese again. Yep. And, and force Give it, it another. It's like, it's like drinking cold red wine that's got sugar in it. Mm. And, and it's like a little bit fizzy. Yeah. When I was a kid, I had a... Well, I still have this auntie. I don't think she listens to the pod. Who really likes drinking Riccadonna. What's that? It's like a sparkling white, but with 16 times the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the aftertaste of this mm. is. Yeah. Things we came across. This is a pile of show. Sponsored we, by... <laughs> sponsored by Andrew, Not sponsored by Andrew Garrett, sparkling stress. Um... The, hmm. which, which is a South Australian brand. Anyway. Hmm. <laughs> it all lines up. Think, things we came across is our final segment. It's the shortest segment. Uh, thanks for sticking around. This, this is where we talk about something that we've come across. You know, when, if, you've, if you're a researcher, you're, you're, you're a clinician, you're time poor, you need to find a piece of... You're avoiding life responsibilities yeah, by when, looking for something. Or no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're trying to find a, an article by, you know, to give you some up-to-date information. And you're like, how did that article get into my search feed here? Mm. And also, like, that looks way more interesting. That's what this, that's this what, bit is. That's what this bit is. So, I, 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 I looked up indecision. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you couldn't decide? No, no. So... Friday nights, I try and watch a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm very bad at watching TV. Friday night is about the only t- only time I can, I'll, I've got the attention span to mm. sit and watch. Put your phone away, sit film? and watch a movie. Mm, let's not go that far. But uh, <laughs> depends on the quality of the movie. Depends on the quality. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, what happens is I'm tired on a Friday night mm. from the week, and I don't know what to watch, and mm. so I. And then I like will look at a streaming service for ages, and I'll, I'll literally will spend forty five minutes trying to choose one. Oh, yeah. And then by the point, like I'm like, oh, I'm don't like, have time to watch the yeah. thing. Yeah. So I, so I, I'm on a Discord and put it out to all these movie buffs. Mm. What movies? And they had some great suggestions. You know, what I watched. <laughs> I do know what you watched. I loaded up a John Claude Van Damme movie <laughs> from the nineties. Because it was on the streaming service. Yep. I'm like, you know what? Actually, I kind of watched it. That was it's a piece of shit. Yep. <laughs> it was the sparkling Shiraz <laughs> of John Claude Van Damme movies. Was That's uni- saying something. Universal That's, Soldier. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so look, the article I'm not going to go into too much. It was, I mean, the, the article called my was Impact of Office Clutter on Remote Working. Quote, also I can't feels- work with all this stuff. End quote feels like a personal attack on my workspace yeah, at home but yeah this is by ferrari and colleagues 2021 north american journal of psychology mm. they talked about many employees work remotely from home however working home may be complicated by one's procrastination tendencies and office clutter which may impact on work behavior sure 88 remote workers in the United States. The results showed that indecision and behavioral procrastination. So I think indecision is like another form of procrastination. Like a mental procrastination. Mm, mental clutter, mm-hmm. yeah. We're related to high degrees of office clutter. Mm-hmm. The most frequently reported home office clutter was paper. <laughs> Trash, used coffee cups, yep. and office supplies. In that order, full stop. <laughs> That's what it says in the abstract. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm, I'm not sure that's needed. Uh, See, now mine would be coffee cups, a cat, and post-it notes. See, I've got, I've got letters on my desk yep. over there, uh, a couple of textbooks, um, some USB cords. Oh, yeah, cords that I'm not uh, sure what they go to. And randomly a pocket knife. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter's been getting violent in therapy lately. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Um, and, <laughs> love it. and horror upon horror, right? They, they also say, to mitigate the consequences of home office clutter on well-being, employers should work with employees to increase job satisfaction by encouraging employees to personalise their workspace. <sighs> they also said... But it's de- already at home. They also said, to decrease emotional exhaustion, employers might provide workshops and organisational structures to help employees that engage in behavioural procrastination. Could you imagine going to a workshop about how not to procrastinate at work? I would... Oh, well, first of all, I wouldn't go. But anyway. If I had to go, oh I'd 
do other things that were procrastinating in the procrastination <laughs> workshop. Just to prove a point. Yeah. Okay, I'm out. Anyway, okay. Uh, we get, let's, let's force this down again. Okay. Let's just push through. The thing is, I'm not certain what the taste is when you first drink it. Because, like, for a minute, it tastes like champers, right? And then, and then you get like a strong red wine taste. And then you get the after hit of Ricadonna. Yeah. Yeah, it's a journey and it's, it's not a journey that I'm, I'm keen to go on. You know the, the you know what the pleasing thing mm. was? I went to this well-stocked bottle shop. Sure. And there were, you know, hundreds of different bottles of wine. Mm. There was four <laughs> types of sparkling Shiraz. Yeah, it's... And this was, this was yeah, there was, there was... There was a $13 that was reduced down to a 10. I'm like, that is going to be just the worst. That's so not going to be. So I think this was a $15 bottle. Okay. So $15 should, should you be... You should be able to drink it I without... I wouldn't drink this and, and like... Ugh. Anyway. No. Okay. Attachment. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are we going? Attachment. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my things we came across was like a pop up if you like this article you might like other articles mm-hmm. that are similar mm-hmm. that i was reading for a different part you've bought you've bought these shoes so you should buy those shoes <laughs> exactly yeah yeah have you tried these ones that are all the same but are cheaper yeah, yeah. and it immediately caught my eye this article is called romantic partners and four-legged friends an extension of attachment theory to relationships with pets by lisa beck and elizabeth madress in anthrozoos that's an yeah. actual journal, 2015. Please tell me that's related to like Aaron. <laughs> Do not know. Do not know. Anyway. We will see. We will see. Regular we- listeners will know that I love attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And this article is about how it expands to pets mm-hmm. and comparing the security of attachment people have with their partners versus with their pets. Oh, gold. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty, I was pretty pleased with this discovery. So... Attachment theory is usually explored in terms of parent-child, romantic relationships, sometimes with friends, sometimes siblings, but it's the people who are closest to you. Hasn't been looked at with pets very much. Research suggests that an attachment bond takes two years to develop to get the depth of kind of wanting, you know, seeking proximity, not wanting to be apart, using that person as kind of a secure base that you can go back to when you don't feel so good, that kind of deeper relationship rather than just an acquaintance yep and so they wanted to look at people's relationships with their partners compared to with their pets who they'd had for longer than that time mm-hmm. and see what came out so so pet the pet's been around for longer than the partner not necessarily but oh. the pet's been around long enough to develop an attachment bond oh, okay. yeah. yeah they modified and tested some scales checked they were all okay and then ran the full study as a very brief crash course in attachment, there's four types, secure, and then there's preoccupied, which is when people are really high in anxiety and really want to be around They're someone. They're really needy, so think Luke Skywalker. Yep. yep. There's avoidant, which is where there's lots of avoidance of the person that should be a support. Mm-hmm. But think Han Solo. Yep. yep. And then there's fearful avoidant or disorganized, which is when you both don't want to be around the person very much because that's distressing and you're highly anxious about being separated from mm-hmm. them so there's kind of a push-pull dynamic i don't think you've got a star wars example for that one job of the heart no i don't know <laughs> <laughs> the sarlacc yeah, that's it. so i'm just going to jump to yep. results so they got scores on each kind of like a prototype for each one of those attachment styles and then also got people's ratings on how anxious they were in their relationships and how avoidant they were. They found that on every measure, pet relationships were rated as significantly more secure than partner relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Relationships with pets were not only more positive and secure, but there was a ceiling effect on the scores where the pets maxed out (laughs) the security rating. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. That that 
if you don't know psychological research, that very, very rarely happens. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is hilarious. So although they were significantly different, there were some parallels. So if someone was more anxious with their partner, they were more anxious with their pet. Mm. But it's still... They're basically... You're more securely attached to your pet yeah. than your partner. Married people were more secure than unmarried with their partners. Mm. Number of dogs well, you, owned, you, you, you'd, you'd hope na- so. You've nailed them. So yeah. they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> they can't escape. <laughs> <laughs> Legally, they're bound to you. Yeah. That's it. So therefore, no need to be anxious. No, yeah. le- no less. Less need to be anxious. <laughs> uh, number of dogs owned was related with lower anxiety. (laughs) Cat owners, regardless of how many cats they had, rated higher on the partner anxiety scale, but not on the cat anxiety scale. What a surprise. Yep. Age and gender wasn't predictive. Yeah. So it doesn't doesn't matter if you're a crazy cat lady or a crazy cat man. (laughs) I was trying to think of what the phrase would be. Wow. Yep. So there you go. I thoroughly... Thoroughly enjoyed I, it. I'm going to say, like, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed you brought that for things we came across because that, that feels like a just like a whole pod a discussion. Whole, I mean, we can branch it out. We should just get the authors on. <laughs> My dream. <laughs> Two shrinks put a Gmail, whoever the author is. Um, yeah. Beck. Beck and oh, Madresh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you. It has been fun. That is not sarcastic. No. And uh, join us next time. We are going to be doing, talking about work mm. and having some fun looking at some research about working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>